Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of February 23rd, 2021, and episode number 468. That's amazing. And this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons. And yes, we are live on the Paranormal King Radio Network at ParanormalKing.com. Well, maybe live. Well, we're live right now, but uh, maybe you're listening later and we're not live. We're alive. But not live. You know how it works. It's a live radio show right now, but uh, you'll maybe be listening in later to a podcast, which I really appreciate. Uh, probably most of you are coming from the Apple platform, which is okay. I'm not a big Apple fan, but uh, so be it. Everybody has their own thing. So, gosh, what a week. What a weird week uh, we've had here, uh, not just paranormal speaking, but just in general. I, was able to walk outside without having to wear a winter coat for the first time today. Uh, Mid-40s here in Ohio. It's going to actually be a couple of degrees warmer tomorrow. Maybe I'll wear my shorts and go wash my car. Okay, maybe not. Um, but we'll see. Uh, Weather-wise, it's uh, positive signs. Uh, I don't know about you, but last week I was, uh, I don't know, I was a kid again. Granted, we never saw this when I was a kid, but always dreamed of this. As a kid watching uh, the Perseverance land on Mars, I was very, very excited to watch that. Um, a lot of watched a lot of that coverage last Thursday. It was uh, really exciting, you know. And I warned you guys earlier. Actually, I think last year, last fall, when everything was launching, because it takes about seven months to get out there, uh, that uh, this is going to be a pretty big time for Mars here in 2021, and when everything started to land. And uh, so far, it's been pretty exciting see, seeing some of these new uh, photographs coming out. And, of course, people jumping on the conspiracy bandwagon. Well, why was the sky blue? The sky's not supposed to be blue. They're, it's all fake. Uh, no. No, it's science. Just uh, just read about it. You'll, you'll get it. You'll, you'll pick it up. You'll understand it. Um, gosh, and then today, you know, I'm wrapping up the show, uh, doing a little bit of research on some older stories. And... Facebook, pretty much hijacked by Tiger Woods today, who was involved in a pretty bad accident. Um, I'm not a big golf fan, nor am I really a Tiger Woods fan. But, man, you really hate to see uh, anybody's professional career cut short due to an accident. And, uh, of course, we can all reflect back on just over a year ago to uh, Kobe Bryant and his helicopter crash, also in California. So... Kind of scary stuff, um, but not as scary as tonight's show. Uh, we've got all kinds of news from all over the place, from Australia to New York to uh, New Mexico and the United Kingdom. That's pretty much it. I, I guess that's it. Um, but yeah, major news tonight. I was hoping to uh, be really excited about this, about a major announcement about the thylacine, um, but... Uh, yeah, the major news was kind of sapped out today, uh, but we'll cover all that information tonight. Uh, I do want to make 
think I did make a note here. Uh, the Haunted Savannah Paracon that uh, was listed on my events page. Yes, uh, February 26th through the 28th. That would have been this weekend. Well, that's been postponed to September. No surprise. We're going to see a lot of that, I think, moving forward. COVID's not over, folks. Uh, I don't know where you're getting your, your medical advice, probably from Facebook or Twitter. Or maybe from the rich people on Instagram. I don't know. Uh, but uh, shots don't make it go away. Uh, it's still lingering. It's still out there. It's still dangerous. It's not the flu. It's worse. If you haven't figured that one out yet, I can't help you. Can't help you at all. Um, yeah, so, uh, boy, I tell you, I really don't like spending too much time on that page anymore after last year's debacle. Uh, but we've already seen, yeah, there's a couple here that were rescheduled already um but i'm doing my best to kind of keep that updated keeping one eye out i'm not looking too far ahead in the future with these events maybe a month month and a half maybe two months so uh, if i were you i wouldn't be booking tickets even for july or august at this point i would hold out and i know some some places might get mad at me for saying that but um yeah i, I just don't know right now it's not a good time to be buying tickets for any public event uh, unless it's baseball course always baseball um but yeah we'll uh keep an eye on that but uh, yeah let's jump into the news i was really really excited to hear about this yesterday and uh, what a crazy 24 hours it's been could have been the biggest cryptid story i've ever covered on this show uh dating back to when it started 2008 with the uh the uh, Bigfoot in a Freezer story, which was back then, it was pretty much the biggest story. Uh, but yeah, uh, the thylacine, which, uh, yeah, gosh, you know, I, I do talk about it quite a bit here on the show, but I, I really feel like I don't talk about it enough. And uh, I'm kind of disconnected from that other part of the world. Although I've been watching a show called Harrow, which is really, really interesting. If you've not seen that, it's on, uh, it's on Hulu. Um, yeah, biggest story, I think, so far, 2021, in the cryptid world, at least. Um, it came and went, just like that, if you've been paying attention to this. So yesterday, uh, Neil Waters of the Thylacine Awareness Group of Australia, uh, he released a three-minute, 20-second video outlining a new discovery. He was uh, very kind of half-excited, kind of laid back about it, and very matter-of-fact-ish. Uh, I think about most of this. And then towards the end, he kind of got a little little fishy about it. Uh, he states that his team has not only discovered one, not two, but potentially three Tasmanian tigers in the wild. And not only that, that it seems that the three uh, include a breeding pair and a Joey. No, his name's not Joey. Doesn't have a T-shirt with his name on it or a license plate on his bicycle says joey that's kind of what they call the little baby stuff over there joey's everything's a joey i think in australia uh the photograph was discovered on a trail cam in tasmania now you know i've talked about the thylacine here on the show a lot and they frequently make claims of finding a tasmanian tiger or thylacine it's the same thing it's kind of like calling a, a cougar a mountain lion or a puma it's all the same thing um, they talk about finding on mainland Australia, 
And I find that very, very hard to believe uh, based on fossil records that make that extinct a long, long time ago. Uh, however, they were alive and well on Tasmania uh, up until the 1930s. So I find it more likely that if they are rediscovered, uh, it would be in Tasmania, not Australia. Uh, there's a little ocean in between there. Yeah, so the proof of this, obviously the, a trail cam photograph. Um, and again, it would be major, major news. This would be, I don't know, would it be bigger than Tiger Woods? Maybe not. Uh, I'd be up there though. At least in Australia, would, this would be a major discovery, major find. And uh, for me, being into cryptozoology, I guess you could, you could call me a cryptozoologist. I don't call that call myself that, but I guess I guess I could be lumped into that. Um, that would be awesome for those of us in that field because uh, for so long, scientists have said, no, it's impossible. No, they don't exist. They're gone. And it's really down to the fringe people that believe in this creature that are pushing for it or that uh, claim that it, it does exist. And it seems like the government is kind of against it for the most part, which, you know, we get the same stuff here in the United States. So uh, a, a discovery of this creature would be uh, very big and it would be a, a kind of a celebration of sorts for those of us in the paranormal or cryptozoology. <sighs> But yeah, photographs. I mean, geez, it's not a lot of weight with a photograph. Um, but Waters, uh, during his uh, video there yesterday, seemed pretty matter-of-factish uh, that, uh, I don't know, but uh, he says that uh, in the video, the youngest one is really the, the most definitely recognizable by the uh, stiff tail and stripe markings, among other things. I didn't seem, he seemed a little wishy-washy about the adults, though, which kind of had me worried. Uh, because if you've been paying attention, you've listened to the show, and I've talked about the Thylacine Awareness Group, which is pretty much the flagship for thylacine sightings in Australia and Tasmania, uh, we've been duped before by photographs and video uh, that had big claims behind them, and then you end up just shaking your head like, really? Even I know, and I'm not an expert at, on animals at all. In Australia, I, I can't don't couldn't tell you the difference between uh, half of these creatures um, because I'm not used to seeing them all the time. But uh, I could tell you the difference between uh, some of these creatures and a thylacine uh, by looking at photographs and videos. Um, he even talked about moving forward with making the thylacine critically endangered or even just an endangered species with the Australian government. That's that's quite a jump from having a photograph and it's not even made public yet. And you're already talking about changing laws. Uh, it was a little, it's kind of exciting. I'm not going to lie. It was, uh, I felt the excitement, but I also knew it in the back of my mind, I've heard this before and I've heard the family thing before. Uh, I've seen some interesting videos, uh, but you got to have some proof. I mean, you can honestly make the argument that science has verified new and old species by photographs alone. Uh, a few years ago, there was a bird species that was uh, verified by a photograph, although it was a very good photograph, very close-up photograph. You can see a lot of detail in the photograph. Uh, but with the thylacine, you're going to have to get some – would have to be a really, really good photograph. Uh, unfortunately, you're probably going to have to have some DNA 
to prove to scientists uh, because there's been a lot of um, conspiracy or or hoaxing with the thylacine. Uh, and obviously that this is uh, not a product of wishful thinking on the part of the thylacine awareness group. Uh, Waters states that his committee, I don't know who that is, uh, they're in line with this being a group of thylacines, but an independent expert, there's that word again, uh, Nick Mooney, is evaluating the photograph before they can make any sort of announcement. They were looking at an uh, announcement by March 1st uh, or, well, yeah, next Monday, March 1st. So they were looking at next Monday, uh, making a big public announcement about this photograph and the uh, discovery, or should I say rediscovery, of the thylacine. But, uh, yeah, Nick Mooney was the only one standing in the way. And I tell you, uh, reading the official website on there on Facebook, I guess the official Facebook site of the thylacine awareness group, but there's a lot of people that were kind of relieved and excited and waiting to pop the champagne uh, or grape juice, whatever they're drinking. I don't know. What are you drinking, Australia? I'm not sure. Um, a lot of them thinking this is it. It's the end of the road. We finally discovered it. We're going to prove it to the world. Uh, but there was a small contingent of people that uh, weren't so sure. I was among them. I mean, like I said, we've been fooled by past hoaxes. Uh, there's been some pretty decent video I've seen. Uh, but the information, again, I don't, I'm not an actor animal expert with uh, Australian creatures. And I have to do a lot more research than I would for something discovered, you know, here in Ohio or even the United States or even North or even South America. I'm more familiar with those animals than I am with Australian creatures. So I had to do a lot more research when I see pictures and things. Uh, but a lot of times I can figure it out by research. Um, yeah, but they're also known for pushing Again, pushing ambiguous photographs with the claim that they do prove the existence of the creatures. We've seen that and heard that a lot in the last few years. And so if it could make it through Nick Mooney, uh, it would be great by Monday. But I don't know if it's good news or bad news. Uh, you don't have to wait till next Monday. The announcement pretty much came today, uh, this afternoon. Uh, so you don't have to wait. Don't worry about it. The uh, the balloon's been deflated. Uh, yeah, good news. Uh, kind of took away next week's headlines already. Um, yeah, Nick Mooney has made an announcement of what he thinks about this, these supposed purported thylacine photos. So, yes, just this afternoon he made a comment on what he actually saw. And that brings us to the bad news. So he does not believe that these are thylacine at all, but more than likely other animals. Uh, so he is, uh, Nick Mooney is the honorary curator of vertebrae, uh, vertebrate zoology at the Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery. And uh, he was quoted by a museum spokesperson this afternoon. So Tuesday afternoon, he says, quote, uh, the spokesman Spokesperson says, uh, quote, Nick Mooney has concluded that based on the physical characteristics shown in the photos provided by Mr. Waters, the animals are very unlikely to be thylacines and are most likely Tasmanian patamelons, unquote. Patamelons. I, I got to be honest. Uh, I'd seen that word before, but I couldn't 
really picture what that was. It's not like saying a gorilla or orangutan. At least I know what those look like. But patamelon, I had no clue. Uh, I know it. I know it's a similar creature to like a kangaroo. But I thought, how could you mistake a kangaroo for a pilocene? Uh, well, he went on to say, uh, "quote T-Mag, T-Mag, which is uh, the Tasmania Museum and Art Gallery, uh, regularly receives requests for verification from members of the public who hope that the thylacine is still with us. However, sadly, there have been no confirmed sightings documented of the thylacine since 1936. So yes, the last known living specimen of the thylacine died at the Hobart Zoo back in 1936, and despite a number of purported sightings since then, there have been no verifiable sightings that accompany photographs, video, and uh, there's been no DNA of any type as well. Yeah, Neil Waters and his thylacine awareness group have made many bold claims like this in the past. And while many were anxiously awaiting the news, many others speculated that this would be uh, just another attention-grabbing moment to advertise his movie or ask for money for further research. I haven't heard that piece yet. But I got a feeling it's coming. So, yeah, the, the patamelon is a small to mid-sized marsupial. That means they carry their young in a pouch like a kangaroo. Uh, they're actually cousins to the kangaroo and a wallaby. I always love that word, wallaby. So I do have a picture here of the, oh boy, somewhere, of the uh, patamelon. And that's a, an extra thing you get. It looks like a big rabbit, I guess. Nah, it more looks like a little kangaroo to me. Uh, so in the chat room there, I threw a picture of a patamel. He's a little little hopping creature. Very, very similar to a wallaby. I think it looks more like a wallaby than a, a kangaroo. They're smaller, darker, more compact than a kangaroo. Kangaroos have those longer heads, longer necks, longer front arms. This is more compact. These little guys can go up to 34 miles an hour quick very fast creatures and they hop obviously hop on their back legs so they're not uh, crawling around on four legs like a thylacine would so yeah why did he and how did he mistake that or how did mooney come up with the assumption that this is a patamelon and not a thylacine so who is closer here i think we're gonna have to wait uh so these creatures uh again they're very similar to a small size wallaby they're nocturnal and generally solitary animals, pretty much like the thylacine. Uh, a few of them do have stripes. I've been reading a lot of people saying that these animals don't have stripes. That's not true. I uh, did my research. Some of them do have stripes. There's a lot of variety. I think there's seven varieties of these. And uh, they do have stripes, but they're not as pronounced as the thylacine. Uh, they also have long, thick tails, like their cousins, as well as the thylacine. Uh, they also have... Uh, yeah, you know, like I said, stripes, either dark fur. I mean, we don't really know exactly what a thylacine would look like in the in the wild, other than what we've seen in these pictures and, and some of these videos. So it's a little confusing. But uh, how would you confuse the two animals? Uh, but the guess was, uh, my when I first read this, uh, that Mooney came out and said that, um, yeah, this isn't what you think. I'm guessing the photograph does not show the animals clear enough and from what i've been reading 
uh, in response to all this. Uh, that's the truth. So hopefully we'll see this photo. It should hopefully be released in, in the next few days. I hope that he doesn't wait another week. Um, so again, the adults he wasn't sure about, but the juvenile, he said, uh, clearly showed this. Uh, I'm assuming the photo is pretty much ambiguous and very little detail can be seen. Uh, it appears that the juvenile was seen from behind. And he's asked his Facebook group for photographs of baby patamelons to uh, uh, taken from behind. So I guess you run around the woods and you take pictures of these guys from behind to, I don't know what he's trying to prove. He's, he's trying to disprove uh, a professional's um, judgment here on these pictures. Uh, he asserts that the baby in the photo has at least eight anatomical features that make it a thylacine versus a patamelon. <sighs> long sigh there. So if that were true, if there were eight anatomical features that make it a thylacine versus a patamelon, then Nick Mooney should be fired. I mean, eight anatomical features that, that are proving it like that, that's crazy. That, that would make it perfect. Uh, I mean, I study uh, big cat pictures all the time of people saying that uh, they're mountain lions, and I can prove that they're not mountain lions. It takes me less than eight anatomical features to prove that it's a house cat or it's a bobcat or another cat. Uh, so that's pretty crazy. So either, either Mr. Waters doesn't know what he's talking about or Mr. Moody doesn't know what he's talking about. But uh, one is an animal expert and the other is a fanatic of the thylacine and i'm sure you can figure out who is which uh so it's wishful thinking i think uh, and it is one thing to be wishful in finding an extinct creature alive in nature but it's another to make assumptions based on your own personal agenda and again it's not the first time we've heard this it's not the first time that we've been down this road with this group uh, and I hate to say it, I hate to be mean about it, but, uh, there's going to be a lot of unvarnished truth on this episode tonight. I'm just in that mood tonight. Uh, it doesn't sound to me like he knows how to identify animals very well. That's just me, uh, saying that's my personal opinion. I just don't think he knows what he's looking at here. Uh, you're telling me you have eight verifiable anatomical features. Yikes. That's a lot. That's pretty good. Um, but I'm not seeing it. Not seeing it. Um, I mean, my, you know, I'll be honest here. My whole concern with this, this kind of uh, shenanigans with uh, announcing it to the public that you've, you're proving that thylacines are existing, and then it comes, you, you can't even get it verified by anybody uh, outside of your group. Um, this, this kind of tarnishes what a lot of people are trying to do out there. They're trying to find. Uh, verifiable proof, DNA, or tracks, or uh, video that's not uh, from a, three miles away in Grainy and half-buried underground. And there are some legitimate people out there doing some legitimate work, and they're, they're not just doing this for attention, which it unfortunately seems like this group is, is trying to do. Uh, and my concern is that if this group goes the well too many times, it could wash out the hope uh, by many. And if there is actual good evidence that uh, people aren't going to listen to it, you know, and it's, it's my hope that, you know, out of any of the cryptid animals that, that I talk about on the show or that uh, exist out there, 
on anybody's maps or websites. Uh, most of them are really outlandish, kind of one-off creatures like Mothman or the Jersey Devil. Uh, those things probably don't exist. They're probably more urban legend and folklore than a real flesh-and-blood creature. Uh, but when you're talking about animals that could potentially exist, that maybe have existed already, uh, here in the United States, ivory-billed woodpecker would be my number one uh, hope and favorite, especially since the experts have, have said no way, they don't exist anymore. That would be great. Uh, but the thylacine, I, I think overall, would be the number one animal. That if we could uh, discover that and prove science wrong, that would be a huge feather in the cap. A striped feather in the cap for those of us in the paranormal. But we're going to have to wait a little longer for that. Hopefully we get a hold of this picture uh, before next week, I'm sure that uh, in the next couple of days, it's going to appear on his Facebook site, and uh, we can uh, get a hold of it, and we'll talk about it here on the show. Um, speaking of spotty evidence, we'll go to uh, New York. Why not? Let's jump on the bus. Let's go all the way around the world to the United States, to New York. So yes, spotty evidence, the Bigfoot researchers of the Hudson Valley uh, recently posted a series of photographs from Pauling, New York. And uh, I wasn't sure where they were going with this, but I, all of a sudden I started popping up everywhere. Uh, I think Coast to Coast talked about this and a couple of other news outlets uh, jumped on this as well. Got to be careful what you post on Facebook. People take everything so seriously. Uh, I don't know how serious the... The assumption was that this was Bigfoot, um, but it is a Bigfoot group, and you're showing pictures of large prints, and there is a uh, measuring tape involved. So uh, I guess that assumption was there. Uh, there were five photographs that were posted to their Facebook site on the evening of February 17th, which created a lot of discussion. And speaking of said photograph, uh, said photographs, I will only show... Uh, I'll show their Facebook post. It shows like the major picture here that uh, well, I'm going to reference, which is an overview of the tracks. So you can see the the uh, Facebook post there on the left is a large picture of giant prints separated by six feet. So a six-foot stride, that's crazy. It's got to be a giant animal, right? And there on the right, you can see a couple of pictures of close-ups. The one there in the middle on the right shows a, eh, it's a generous 15 inches, but that's not how you measure tracks. So when I saw that, I kind of chuckled like I just did, because that's not how you measure tracks, folks. Um, you're being awful generous with, uh, with that um, <clears throat> measurement there. Uh, so yeah, the photographs show what appear to be large footprints separated by six-foot strides. Again, that's a giant animal if those are footprints. Um, yeah, 15 inch, uh, footprint, but, uh, really kind of interested. I was kind of happy to see that in the discussion of said post, uh, there was a lot of people that were, I'd say almost more people were negative about this than were going, wow, that's really a genuine Bigfoot right there. I mean, granted, some people were jumping on board, uh, but a lot of people were pushing back, which, which is great. You've got to, um, but how is that possible? It's a it's a pro Bigfoot fan site, and uh, I can say when I first saw the main photograph of the overview of the prints, 
I can honestly say I've seen the same thing before. It's not, it's not Bigfoot. It's actually quite the opposite. Well, some people do carry those big feet around with them on a keychain. Do people still do that anymore? I don't think so. Um, one thing you can say is if you go out in the backyard, you walk around right now, and you make as long strides as you can, you'll never get that clean of a print between one print and the next. There's always going to be a little bit of a drag from one foot to the next. And you're not going to have just a clear stomp of a print like what you see. That's the first telltale sign. But the, the reality is, is I've seen this before in uh, a few different back uh, backyards I've lived in. I've actually seen this happen in person when I scared the, this said creature. Um, you know, and let's we'll do a sidebar here. Um, snow. So a lot of people think that taking pictures of footprints in snow is a lot better than any other type of uh, of surface, be it uh, mud or grass, even. Uh, or anything else, but I, I tell you, it's it's the worst. I mean, I would rather have it uh, a footprint in grass versus snow, uh, because at least grass is going to show you, uh, and you can test the weight a lot better than snow, because snow changes by the hour, by the minute, about how much weight can create it and what the actual size is based on the temperature. Uh, temperature warming up or even cooling off can make the print bigger. Depends on the weather. Depends on the humidity. A lot of things depend on the weather of what you're looking at. And snow can leave some very deceiving footprints uh, and other track marks. And, and wind can create things, can make prints a lot bigger. Uh, just so many things affect snow so much quicker than other surfaces such as uh, dirt, mud, and grass, which all are affected by the environment, don't get me wrong, and time, uh, affect everything. Uh, so in my book, Handbook for the Amateur Cryptozoologist, that I wrote, uh, seems like forever ago, uh, I did mention, I did talk about the difficulties of snow, and I showed a, a print next to uh, a dog track, and I showed how one set of prints was ginormous and then you saw saw the other pictures of the actual print before it melted and how deceiving and deceptive snow can be at times and it can create a lot of misinterpretation um this is a lot simpler than that though because uh, uh creatures are coming out it's funny because uh, a couple of nights ago i actually saw uh, about 12 30 one o'clock in the morning i saw a couple of creatures out eating under my bird feeder that uh, left very similar marks to this. And I actually watched this as I drank some milk over my sink. That's uh, a little bit too much personal details right there, I think. But um, yes, these uh, prints I have seen before. I've seen in action even the last couple of days. I've seen this happen. It wasn't exactly like this, though, because the snow wasn't as deep um, a couple of nights ago. Uh, but yeah, these were created by rabbits. No, it's not a bear. Rabbits. I know it's very difficult to, to kind of wrap your mind around that. How is a rabbit jumping six foot, leaving perfect mark? Well, that's what they do. They got those long legs and they jump. Not a big foot. Actually, a little foot. So, yeah. And I've seen it happen. 
documented this. And it's funny because in the uh, Facebook post, someone actually put a picture of rabbit tracks in the snow. And it looks exactly like the one shown. So good on them to step forward and show uh, evidence that um, not everything is what you think it is sometimes. Uh, and again, this is another case of jumping to conclusions. This is our third story or third time here. It also underscores the fact that those who wish to research incredible claims should know the credible first. And I'll mention that again later on in the show. Uh, when I do talks on investigating, uh, well, I might as well do it now. I'm talking about it. So uh, when I generally uh, end with my investigative talks, uh, whether it's cryptozoology, UFOs, or even ghosts, I end with my keys to investigating. And my first key that I talk about is know what is normal. And that's the biggest piece. If you don't know what normal is, how do you know what's not normal? How do you know what's abnormal? And how do you come to the conclusion that something is paranormal? I mean, if you don't know what, what normal, then how do you know what's not normal? I mean, I don't get it. Understanding the natural world as much as possible, especially when you're talking about cryptids, knowing what sign animals leave in your neighborhood. You know, Start with your own backyard. Start with your own state. And then work your way around the world if you want. That's what you're doing. If you're investigating in your own state, know what animals live where in different uh, landscapes in your state. Start there. Um, I mean, it's, if you understand what's generally expected from animals, then you know what it starts to show off when things are a little bit different or not right. It'll give you a better perspective on what you're seeing. And you won't get caught jumping to conclusions. As you know, there's going to be an alternative explanation. Uh, so the second thing that I talk about is there's no substitute for experience. So this jumps into uh, the first key, uh, knowing what is normal. Uh, but there's no substitute for experience. You, you can read as many books as you want, and that's fine. I encourage that. But there's a limitation of what you can learn with books. You're going to learn a lot, but it's not practical experience. Uh, and reading books, don't get me wrong, I'm not bashing it. It's, it I think it's essential. As a researcher, as an investigator, it's, it's essential that you have the knowledge. And there's a lot to learn from online resources. Don't get me wrong there. I'm not saying throw your computer out. Uh, but nothing replaces being out in the field and seeing things for yourself. Being able to take what you read and what you see on the internet, which can help you learn. But real life experience helps you actually understand to be able to utilize that learning out in the field. And, you know, you can't just sit behind a computer and analyze stuff and, and think you're always right. Because if you don't have the experience, you're still fooling yourself. Uh, because there's a lot to learn by actually getting out there and getting uh, boots on the ground, as they say. Uh, as we say, as I say, boots on the ground is very important. Uh, but also being a researcher means, yeah, reading books. It all comes together. But you can't do one without the other. Um, you know, I, I meet a lot of old school guys who that's all they do is they stop the woods. And unfortunately, that's all they know. They don't really sit back and read the books. So there's you have to find that balance between the two. Uh, this ties into another one of my keys of investigating, which is to be objective. 
I mean, I get it. You run a Bigfoot website. You believe in Bigfoot. You got a Bigfoot shirt. You got a Bigfoot hat. You got Bigfoot boots. You got a Bigfoot bumper sticker. You got a Bigfoot wood carving in your backyard. I get it. You believe in Bigfoot. But that doesn't mean that every single footprint has to be a Bigfoot. You know, uh, many are reactive to the possibility that they're going to provide the world with the, the best evidence ever. Something hits their, their inbox, uh, a picture, a video, uh, a sound, whatever. They want to quickly get it up on a website because they want the world to know that not only do they believe in it, but they've found the best evidence ever. Everybody has that, that kind of knee-jerk reaction uh, many times when they get that stuff. Uh, and it's, sometimes that's hard to overcome. Trust me, I've been there. Um, but I'm, I pull back my reins. I, I know when to uh, evaluate things. I know when to reach out for help. I know when to get another perspective on what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing. Because we can all jump to conclusions. I'm not perfect, trust me. I make a lot of mistakes and I've learned from a lot of people over the years and I've gotten a lot better at evaluating all types of evidence. That's why I do this show. That's why reading these stories is easy for me because I've been out in the field. I've researched UFOs. I've researched ghosts. I've researched cryptids in many states, many areas, many landscapes. Uh, so this stuff is a lot easier for me, I guess. Um, and I'm trying to make it easier for everybody else by evaluating these things. Oh, my soapbox is getting a little shaky. Um, yeah, get a second opinion if you have to, but... Uh, don't make a de declaration of proof. Uh, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And so many people get caught into that. Um, photographs, you know, to tie it into everything, photographs are very misleading. Um, having to interpret something should be research and discussion, not a declaration of evidence. Um, you know, it, just to post it on your site and say, hey, recent tracks, six-foot strides, um, you know, maybe you could have worded that a little bit different and, and asked, hey, what do you guys think of this? What do you guys see? Uh, because that would open that discussion and it wouldn't be pretty much matter of fact. But, you know, on their part, uh, that matter of factness gets you picked up by news uh, feeds all over the world and uh, gets your story famous pretty quick. And let's go to UFO news. So I can relax a little bit here. Let me take a breath. A little swig of mellow yellow always helps my day. Sounds like I'm getting paid for all that, but I'm not. Trust me, I'm not. <sighs> Caffeine, sugar. Okay, one of the biggest stories to pop up in the UFO field in the last week comes out of New Mexico. I was excited about this, but kind of deflated at the same time. And you'll find out why. A member of the flight crew of American Airlines Flight 2292 radioed to Albuquerque Center that they had encountered something strange. The encounter happened on February 21st at 1.19 Central Standard Time over the northeast corner of New Mexico. Uh, the transmission was as follows. It says, quote, do you have any targets up here? We just had something go right over the top of us. I hate to say this, but it looked like a long cylindrical object that almost looked like a cruise missile type of thing moving really fast over the top of us. Unquote. End of transmission. So, yes, it was a 14 second radio clip 
And all of this was uh, put together by one person, pretty much. Uh, the rest of the flight was apparently uneventful. And the plane landed in Phoenix, Arizona, I think about 45 minutes later. Uh, many outlets have been carrying this story. There's been a lot of speculation about what was seen. And uh, it seems like the story itself is getting smaller and smaller. And there's a lot more speculation to how this ties into other sightings all over the world, uh, but let alone in this particular neck of the woods. Uh, the audio transmission of one of the crew members is the only evidence that this occurred. And this was downloaded by Steve Douglas, who published the 14-second audio on his Deep Blue Horizon web blog. And apparently he listens to multiple transmissions of uh, air traffic control, which there's uh, 20, I believe, 22 air traffic control centers in the United States. That's a lot of that's a lot of radio listening to at the same time. That's a lot of traffic. Um, I used to have a radio that I listened to ATC out of Cleveland, um, and some of the minor um, metro uh, metro not metropolitan. I guess there were metropolitan, smaller airports here, municipal airport. That's what the word I was looking for uh, here in Northeast Ohio. It was really uneventful. You'd go many, many minutes, sometimes hours without hearing a single voice. Uh, but if you listen to um, Albuquerque Center, it's pretty much, especially in the afternoon, it's nonstop chatter, people talking over top of each other. It's a lot of stuff going on. So. Uh, apparently, he heard just the, the high-pitched voice. Uh, this person was pretty excited about what they're hearing. Usually, if you've ever listened to ATC, it's the most boring conversations you'll ever hear. It's just a series of letters and numbers. And uh, it's it's pretty usually uneventful. And you can hear a little bit of attitude every now and again. And people just asking for replies, asking about the weather. It's pretty boring stuff. But apparently, this half-conversation jumped out at Douglas and he was able to record that piece or, or figure out what was going on. I don't know if I believe that, though. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty incredible, to be honest. Uh, many articles on this incident focus on other reports of cylindrical objects, like I mentioned, that seem to defy logic. Uh, again, one problem is all we hear is a short sample of the crew member in Albuquerque Center. Uh, we never hear a response. Uh, so Douglas states that the response was walked on by another frequency, which is completely believable. It happens all the time. I went back and I listened to uh, ATC out of – I listened to the, the audio myself, and yeah, I agree. It was walked on. You really can't understand it, and they probably switch frequencies at that point. Uh, as you're flying, you're not going to stay on the same frequency. It changes all the time. So there's not a whole lot to go on here. Like I said, Douglas provides the MP3 sample of the crew member. But what's weird about that is on the site, so it's a 14-second clip. It's weird because he's copyrighted it, which I don't understand how you can do that. It's public public domain. You can get this. You can get the audio uh, going to an ATC website and knowing where you're looking for, time frame you're looking at, uh, and finding. Usually they break it down by half hour or hour increments. And then you just got to chop it down. But I, I wasn't aware you could copyright somebody else's conversation. That's public domain. Uh, I don't get that. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, police scanners are much more exciting, a lot more fun. I, I do agree with that. Uh, so nobody's come forward with any audio from Albuquerque Center or Phoenix uh, for any replies to this in- inquiry. So there's a lot of people inquiring about this story. Uh, I know people have reached out to American Airlines, uh, some some decent news uh, organizations have reached out to American Airlines for for re- requests, but uh, you know these airlines they never respond to anything like this. It, you mentioned UFO, they shut down. Uh, but this is interesting because it's it's uh, described as a missile. Now I don't think that's what they saw. I think it was just. He just says that it almost looked like a cruise missile type of thing. So he didn't say, yeah, we just saw a cruise missile over the aircraft. It looked almost looked like a cruise missile type of thing. So it could have been anything. Could have been a weather balloon. Could have been a – I doubt a drone would fly that high. Uh, but could have been just a misinterpretation, reflection. You know, they're, they're supposed to respond or report pretty much anything that they feel comfortable reporting. Now, generally, if they do see a UFO, uh, they'll keep that to themselves so they're not grounded. Uh, But generally, anything that's a threat, they're going to respond to any ATC to let them know what they're seeing so nobody else flies into something. Uh, Or if somebody's breaking the law, they can inform the proper authorities. If a weather balloon is loose or in an area where air traffic is is normally uh, going through, you pretty much have the... uh, you have to. You have to res- reply or respond to that uh, to ATC. So no, no other accidents happen. So we're kind of sitting on our hands at this point with this story, waiting for any kind of response from the FAA or American Airlines or or anybody. And uh, so far, they're attempting to get the audio authenticated from the FAA, even though again, you can listen to it yourself on uh, multiple different. Uh, websites out there uh, hopefully we get uh, some sort of comment from albuquerque air road traffic control center which is a uh, zab which is really weird but that's their call sign zab yeah so nothing great about that one either and since we're talking about hokey dokey evidence tonight seems to be the theme i don't know maybe it's just me i'm a little bitter that uh I don't know, I get excited about some of these stories, and then they just fall flat. It's just really, it gets really old sometimes. But since we're on that, uh, since tonight's episode seems to be wrapped around the worst evidence available for paranormal topics, let's talk ghosts. Why not? Uh, This story kind of bugged me a little bit and uh, kind of thought it was just going to appear on what I call the big three, which is um, the Express, the Daily Star, and... I can't remember the other one, but, you know, the UK rags, as I like to call them. They'll publish anything. They'll get a a few click-throughs so they can sell some advertising spots. They'll publish anything. Um, Yeah, this ghost story, I was mesmerized. I couldn't believe that this this actually posed as news. Uh, So this comes out of the United Kingdom, and it features... A haunted mirror, a psychic medium, and a ghost girl, for good measure. Uh, Ian Griffiths, the psychic medium and founder of the paranormal investigation group Walking with Spirits. Of course, you've got to be a 
paranormal investigation group. I didn't see a picture of him, but I can picture him probably an older uh, graying gentleman with a beard and a black shirt. This may be unjust of myself to describe him like that. But anyway, he recently bought a mirror that was thought to be haunted. Of course it was. Probably paid a little extra for it, too. Uh, so he bought it from a shop recently, and his intention was to use the mirror as a divination tool after he purportedly saw a ghost girl in the mirror. I mean, that's what everyone else would do, right? Uh, he then recorded an EVP session on video. As well, obviously, on audio. That's what you do with EVP. And I don't have to explain what EVP is in 2021. Uh, he captured what he feels is direct communication with the ghost girl, who he says, also matter-of-factly, is named Allison Marie. So if you've, if you've seen this story, uh, they do uh, show part of the video, and they actually flash words on the screen when you're supposed to hear a voice. Apparently, uh, so during the session, the words appear on the screen and you hear a noise that could could be interpreted as a voice, uh, especially when you're told what the voice is saying. I mean, again, I've analyzed. I couldn't tell you how many thousands of hours or hundreds of purported EVP, even a lot that I've captured myself. And I had to second guess or listen to other audio sources because you should never only use one. In a room, you should always have another audio backup so you can find false positives. And uh, that's what I generally do. And therefore, I'm able to explain most of mine. Not all of them. Sometimes there are voices that I can't explain. And there was no, uh, there's no way that anything else. But there's always a way sometimes that you don't always account for everything as much as you want to. It's an uncontrolled environment. Uh, it's not a sterile environment. Things are always moving around. Things are always making noise. That's why I was, I'm always amazed that people come forward and say, matter-of-factly, they got a ghost voice, especially like this one here. Uh, unfortunately, with this, if you do watch the video, uh, you're looking at a mirror. I think there's some candles on the mirror. And it appears that the person stands up and moves forward. And this is the, also the same time that you hear this purported voice. And to me... Uh, that tells me one thing. The movement and the voice are more than likely correlated. Because if it happens at the same time, it's probably the same thing. I mean, not always, but you're not helping yourself by moving around uh, and trying to record at the same time. And it also stacks up that, to me, uh, it doesn't sound like a voice. It sounds like shuffling of the recorder. And if, as the voice ends, the purported voice ends, to me it just sounds like all um, muffling of a recorder in a hand. You can clearly hear, hear the telltale signs that someone is actually holding an audio recorder. Uh, I've heard it a million times. Uh, I listen to uh, various audio uh, when I have it uh, in a shirt pocket or I'm actually holding it. I know what those sounds sound like. And and I can tell when somebody has their audio recorder all the way up, like they have it on the most sensitive setting. Don't do that because you'll get what this guy got. Uh, don't do that. If anything, put it on the lowest setting or the medium setting. Never put it on the highest setting because every noise, I mean, you can literally hear bones creaking in your fingers when you have it on sensitive. And yeah, you don't know what that sounds like, but when you hear it, it could sound like voices. 
Uh, and it also amplifies any footsteps or any board movements of a house or of a table or, or anything. It amplifies everything. You don't want to do that because then you're fooling yourself, which is pretty much exactly what happened in this case. Uh, this is why observing the tools is more important than using them in your hands. Never use tools that you're recording in your hands if you can avoid it, unless it's just documenting what you're doing. And in that case, you take it out of the context of ever using it for, for any kind of data or evidence, unless it's to support uh, a false positive to say, yeah, that's not this because we hear this in this controlled, uh, this other audio that we're not using for ghostly voices or anything else. Uh, so to me, this is clearly false positive. It's not even, there's not even an argument at all at this point. And I, I'm just amazed that, that nobody really pointed that out. Um, and I'm, I'm really amazed at how well received it is from the general public for the most part. Uh, I saw a few negative comments on uh, some Facebook posts about this. Um, but of course, it always ends up political too. So once I start seeing the political posts, I, I just, I turn it off. Um, so great question. I was just ready to talk about that. Uh, so what's weirder about this story is the fact that nobody mentions that using mirrors as divination tools is as close to using a Ouija board as you can get without having a piece of cardboard and plastic. Uh, so uh, George makes a, a, a nice question in the chat room uh, asking, have you ever tried scrying a mirror? So that's, I don't know if they were intending to do this scrying um, because scrying uses kind of like a trance light state. You kind of put yourself in a trance. It's kind of like meditation, and you use a mirror. Uh, it's pretty interesting. Yes, I've done this uh, more than once. The last time I did it uh, actually was a few years ago, four or five years ago, I believe. Uh, it was along with a table tipping session with the late Rosemary Ellen Guiley, uh, which I have an autographed book of hers that I got from that uh, about black mirror scrying. Uh, very interesting experience, and... I did see some things. I did experience some things, but I think it was all because you're kind of, you're kind of out of it when you're in a in a kind of like a trance-like trance-like state. You're you're kind of opening yourself up to things happening. But I guess that's the point of it. Uh, but I don't think this guy was doing this. He was just doing an EVP session over a mirror. I don't think it gets too much deeper than that. Um, but it was uh, it was a pretty cool experience, and I've I've used mirrors in the past for investigations. It's kind of a trick to kind of see over your shoulder. I come from the old school, like baby powder on the ground method and taking pictures over your shoulder kind of stuff. Um, gosh, even Polaroids, people, I don't know what it was with Polaroids, but people thought Polaroids could get ghosts as well. I dumped a lot of money into that, unfortunately. Um, you know, I came in the, the 35 millimeter era, so we didn't have digital cameras back in the day when I started. And so methods like this, like using mirrors, uh, it was a lot different, and you know, if you heard voices, you weren't going to post it on a on a Facebook page or contact the local media and say you definitely got proof of ghosts. There's a little bit more that goes into that this kind of stuff, and uh, you know, I don't know. I was thinking about it today, really frustrated reading these stories, and and I don't know if it's the media, like people just want attention for their beliefs. They want other people to believe what they believe. I don't know, or it's the distraction. You know, people always love the paranormal. Don't get me wrong. This is not new. Obviously, it's new for some people. 
Uh, but I, I just can't figure out why people are posting the worst evidence ever lately. Um, are we that desperate? And why are people not working for this stuff? They're just, you know, throwing, putting a recorder in their hand, uh, recording for 20, 30 seconds, and then saying, oh, I got a voice. And yes, if you, um, if you ask enough questions, eventually a noise is going to happen, and people correlate that noise with a ghost. It's really irritating. <sighs> it's like therapy for me. I think that's what this show has turned into. It's, it's more therapy for me that I can uh, get out my frustrations about the paranormal. It, it is frustrating, though, because believe it or not, uh, I'm not as skeptical as I sound on the show, but uh, stuff like this makes me more skeptical because you have to be skeptical. And if you don't, if you don't look at things through a skeptical eye, you're not doing yourself or anybody else any good. We have to be more critical about the evidence that we gather, more critical about the photographs that we look at, and we have to expand our knowledge to encompass things that we might not believe in or we may not understand because it could help us understand what we're seeing instead of jumping to conclusions and making us all look more foolish than what we really are. Well, I don't know. Some people really are pretty big, pretty big fools. Um, but hang in there. Hopefully we'll get some good news in the next couple of weeks. But for now, I will see you next week. Fear not, I shall return. Uh, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck. And always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting. <laughs>